Hello, Abundant Life family. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today with Church Online. I am so grateful that you are a part of everything that's been happening and your interactiveness during the week as well with some of the other things we've been doing. I want to thank you also for giving as the Lord enables you. I know this is a, a very interesting time and, and sort of a desperate time in some way. So um, God is good. He is uh, the God of peace and goodness and provision. So anyway, thank you for that. I want to really get right into God's Word today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to, to just join right in, interact with me today. Uh, I know it's kind of strange. I'm preaching to a pretty much empty room. There's just a couple people here for the recording, but, um, it, it, but don't let that hinder you from getting engaged in God's Word. So today I want to talk to us about wrestling with God and what that means. And we're going to take, of course, a look at the life of Jacob in this instance in Scripture in Genesis chapter 32. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Genesis 32, and we're just going to read one portion of it, verse 22, all the way down through verse 31. And then we're going to go back and uh, kind of lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. The same night he arose and took his two wives, Jacob, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he, that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the daybreak of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the fate God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun arose upon him as he passed Penwell, limping because of his hip. In order to really see this correctly, I want us to unpack the history of what's happening here. And throughout the history, there has always been, at least in Jacob's past, a, a squabble between brothers. Two brothers fighting. First, we find in Cain and Abel, right? Cain was jealous of Abel's sacrifice, and he killed Abel. And, and I, I know from my own experience as a parent, if, if my boys would have had separate bedrooms growing up, they probably would... Uh, you know, probably would have done better. If Cain and Abel would have had separate bedrooms, maybe Cain would not have murdered Abel. I don't know. It's hard to tell a joke in an empty room, but I think you get the point. But after that, Abraham comes along and Isaac and Ishmael are born and they fought. And in some ways that feud is still alive today. But then Isaac marries Rebecca and then comes Jacob and Esau. And even from the womb, I mean, one is holding the heel, right? And the culmination of the birthright and all the things that happen there. So Jacob, next, the thing that happens next, Jacob tricks his father and, and takes Esau's birthright. And Esau says, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob, the deceiver, flees. He deceives his father. He deceives everyone at the counsel of his mother. And he, he sees Rachel, uh, and he wants to marry Rachel now. So he, he flees to this land, and Laban, her father, says, you have to work 
for this, you know, seven years to marry her. And, and Jacob cons everywhere he goes. He never uses his real name. And, and he's a grifter, right? He's, he's, he's a charlatan. Everywhere he goes, he changes his name or appearance to be somebody that he isn't. He does whatever he can to serve whatever purposes suit him in the moment. He's, he's a genuine con man. But Laban also is a con man, and so he runs a scheme on Jacob, and on the wedding night with Rachel, he switches the sisters, and Jacob marries Leah. Well, Jacob is upset, but he's upset, and he cons again to get Rachel as his wife and, and some more work, and his, his wealth is really grown. And so now comes a point where Jacob has determined that he's going to run. And so he takes his two wives, he takes his 11 children, all the belongings, all the wealth that he's accumulated, that he has earned, and he runs from Laban. Now, this is really interesting. So I want us to consider where he is right now when we read him in this context, in the scripture, in our text, in Genesis 32, um, um, wrestling with God. He is nowhere to go now. Behind him, because he's fled Laban, Laban has 400 men that are like a small army hunting him down behind him. He didn't know it, but his wife Rachel had taken some of the carved gods, the false gods that they had, and it had, had hidden them, and, but that's for another time. So anyway, behind Jacob is Laban, 400 men, and in front of him is the home that he scammed his brother Esau out of his birthright. And Esau with all of his men and all of Esau's wealth and Esau's family and, and all of e Esau's men are in front of him. So here he finds himself at this place all of a sudden at this river, Jabbok. And this river is right in, in the center point of this place that he's got Laban behind him chasing him and he's got his brother Esau who he hasn't faced since he deceived him um, all these years later so he comes to this place and Jacob um, um, it's very interesting the name of this river Jabbok and and it's we really don't get the full meaning of it here in English the word Jabbok in the original language is very close to the word Jacob and the word wrestling is is the word Jacobe so Jacob here at Jacob River to Jacobe with God there's an interesting play on words it's very much like Pastor Josh who is recording this message right now it'd be like Pastor Josh's name means joking around. And if you know Pastor Josh, that fits him perfectly. So it'd be like saying in this context, it's kind of funny in scripture here, that Josh is joshing around at the Josh-tastic river. So anyway, that's another point. Jacob comes to this place though, and he is between two hard points. So here he is at this riverbank and he wrestles with this guy until daybreak. And on the surface of this account, there are a lot of mysteries. I mean, there are a lot of questions. I've always wondered about this instance in scripture. I mean, this wrestling match makes us ask very significant things. We find out later that this person is God. God himself is wrestling with Jacob. So why does he have to leave when the sun comes up? You know, maybe God's like a troll and Jacob is like Bilbo Baggins installing for daylight. So God will turn into stone. Obviously that's not true, but I really don't have any idea. And, and how does Jacob anyway win? Does he win? He seems to win here. And scripture says that he touched the hip. Now that's easy answerable because in the scripture, the Hebrew word means that he hit Jacob forcefully and displaced his hip. So we understand that, but 
Then the most curious of all the questions to me is, the angel says, what is your name? Now, why would God, who knows everything, need to ask Jacob what his name is? Why is this significant? How come it's important? Why is it important enough actually to include it in scripture, in the history? Because on what we know to this point, Jacob hasn't even used his real name for 20 years. When he comes to Laban, he introduces himself as I am kin, you know my parents. And everywhere else, he might call himself Jacob, but in the text, he never says, I am Jacob the deceiver. He never says that until God confronts him. It was only in that moment he became completely transparent and said, my name is Jacob. My name is Jacob. When he finally gets to the point with God that he gives the honest answer of who he really is in that moment, just him and God. You see, he's been a liar. He's been incognito and he's been deceptive about who he really was up all to that point. And now he really has to stop being on the run and all the, the sudden he's in a battle with God and, and where he can no longer be deceptive. And he's been wrestling with God. He's exhausted. And he comes to that point where he has to say who he really is. And this is an important fact. Wrestling with God always reveals who we really are. Now we can either choose to respond to God by surrendering the match early or, or wait until we're exhausted to give up. But here's the truth, friends. Our circumstances are only opportunities to trust God earlier in the struggle than to ultimately come to that conclusion later in life. Right now, there's a lot of opportunity to be afraid. There's a lot of opportunity to fear. Maybe the significance of the, the coronavirus or our financial situation or a myriad of other things could cause uh, a temptation to be anxious or to be afraid. But the good news is that we don't have to wait to put our burdens on the Lord. You know, this backdrop here in this building, uh, the walls that are painted, the, the sheetrock that's on the walls, the insulation that's in the walls, are supported by a structure. All of the decor and the, the, the furnishings and everything are just a facade. They are uh, hiding what really is the strength of this building, which is the framing, which is the structure. There, there are intricate and very important bearing points in how it's put together and assembled in the architecture as there's been engineering that had gone into it at one point to make sure that all the bearing points were able to support the structure because hanging on the structure is all of the other stuff, all of the, the, the wallpaper, the sheetrock, the paint, everything else, the carpet, the flooring, in order to uncover the real power of the walls in this building is to tear off the facade that covers it up. It would be to take a sledgehammer and start poking holes. I know some people would like to help me do that, right? <laughs> but the strength of the structure is underneath what's there. You know, this is what God really desires for all of us to be like, completely transparent about who we really are. This was a place where Jacob had come to and wrestling with God. The realization of who God was had drawn him to a point where he had to really say, this is who I am. 
what we are hiding behind sometimes the facade we put on with with everyone else that comes down it comes down to in being in the presence of God and when we're in God's presence when we actually allow ourselves to submit to him and and be in be uh, overwhelmed or be be spoken to by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit to allow his word to penetrate the things in our life all the stuff we try to maneuver in life around and get what we want the deceptions and to to, to sell to others and in all of ourselves all of it just comes washing right off all the persona we have created to keep up appearances when we're in the presence of God just just goes away the sin that we often hide behind the situations that we might manipulate all finally come into the open so that we can say who we are confess those things so that God can heal us this is the place where God wants all of his kids to become to become in that place, to come into that place of it, to be in his presence, to allow his presence to fill us. And I know there are times and places of such desperation that we get to in life and, and, and we come to those points, even now we might be in those places and, and what those are, they're just opportunities. This is what God wants for all of us. First John 1 John 1.6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Are you catching that first part? If we say that, Jesus, I'm following you, I'm a Christian, I, I, I'm doing everything, you know, I, I love you and all this stuff, and yet we continue to live and walk as though he weren't even around, the Bible says we're liars. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. This scripture is so powerful. Often we read this scripture and we understand it. We understand that the darkness is our sin and that the light here is repentance and, and, and that it is God's grace that is there to dispel the sin. There is no argument between light and darkness, right? I mean, there's no discussion. If this room were very dark, if it were pitch black right now and I turned on one light, what would happen? The darkness would go away. You would see clearly. The darkness would dissipate. There's no argument between light and darkness. God's grace is bigger, friends, than anything you have done. It's bigger than anything you're trying to hide. It's bigger than any facade that we try to put in front and, and say this is more than what God can do. And what we do more often than not, though, God compels us, friends. He compels all of us. He moves heaven and earth he, to get our attention. And we continue sometimes, though, just like grifters, pretending. Now, having to run all the time to create more deception, because in our minds, this is the only way we'll get any satisfaction or purpose in life is just exactly what Jacob had been doing. He had been running, he had been covering up everything that God was really wanting to get to. And I sense and I know that today God is speaking to us and he is calling us to come out from behind those things and open our heart up and receive from him the power to live a life full of his grace and goodness. The other powerful thing that we often overlook in verse 7 <clears throat> is that if we come into the light, if we drop the deception that we have, we have good relationships with people. I mean, sometimes I think we overlook that because he says, if you step into the light, if, you know, Jacob was wrestling with God and he come to that place where he finally said, this is who I really am. If we come to that place with God and we finally say, God, this is who I really am. <clears throat> what does God do? He begins to heal other relationships as well in our life. 
If our relationship with God is in tune, our relationship with one another becomes even more rich with our children, with our spouse, all these things. This is God's healing. This is giving up the reasons we live a life of lies or masks or deception and we step into the light. Now, I'm 51 years old and uh, I've been around the block a, a few times, maybe less blocks than some of you and a lot more than others. And I can honestly say that throughout my life that there have been many times where I have um, continued on my own way without telling God who I really am. Without really coming to that place of honesty. And what I do in life is I wrestle with all the issues, right? All of my struggles and trials and troubles, whether it's um, mounting um, business ideas or, or business pressures or, or ministry or work or, or money or whatever that it might be. And I, when I allow those things to come in, I, I begin to pre give them more precedent or pr more predominance in my life. And what do I do? I just keep wrestling with it. I just keep worrying about it. And then I realize as I get older, if only I would have just trusted in God so much earlier. If only I would have just said who I was way earlier, things would have been so much better. As long as Jacob could continue to run to create another lie, get to the next city, say, I can just figure it out when I get there, or I'm able to deceive my way through. But in this moment, he's caught and held in a place where he cannot move. God holds on. You have to face me. He says, you have to, you have to, yourself, you have to come and you have to, you can't go any other direction. You have no other options. He didn't use his name for 20 years, but all of a sudden he comes to the point where he has to realize, okay, I have to really say who I am. This is the essence of growing in our faith with God. That God continually calls us to just come clean with all the things we hide behind. And let me tell you, a lot of the times the things that we hide behind are just are more fear and anxiety and worry and, and how we're gonna figure these things out. And the whole time God is saying, would you just trust me? The purpose of wrestling in God is, is not to destroy us, but to change us. God changed Jacob. Sometimes we think that, oh, I'm in the middle of this circumstance and I'm fighting, I'm trying to figure things out and I don't really don't know what to do, but God's purpose in holding on and, and with wrestling with Jacob was, was, was not to destroy him. The pressures in your life and my life, friends, are not intended to destroy us, but to change us. And God changed Jacob. He, the, the wound would become a reminder of the encounter with God where God changed him. Jacob had his own encounter with God. And, and so now he's walking with a limp. You know, I'm reminded of the example of Louis Zamperini, World War II in 1941. Uh, he was commissioned to the U.S. Air Force and as a lieutenant. And he, he served as a bombardier on the B-24 Liberators in the Pacific. Uh, he was out on a search and rescue mission, and, and if you've seen the movie Unbroken, you, you, you've seen this, or you've read his history or heard his testimony, there, there were some difficulties on the plane that forced the plane to crash into the ocean, and after drifting at sea for 47 days, could you imagine? He landed on the Japanese-occupied Marshall Islands. He was captured, he was taken to a prison camp in Japan where he was tortured, and, and following the war, he initially struggled to overcome the whole ordeal. 
during the time where he was imprisoned and where he was in a, he was questioning God where are you but God was the only thing he could trust in he didn't really have any options and and, and God in his captivity uh, uh, trusted he trusted uh, uh, in his torture and he wondered where God was and and he was once he was freed he continued to wrestle with God over forgiveness how could he forgive those who hurt him so much? He, he had scars emotionally and physically from his torture. And eventually he submitted the match to Christ. And he said, God, I am willing to forgive, forgive me. Could you imagine coming to that place after being tortured as he was and put in that place where emotional and physical scars had consumed his life, coming to that place where he was willing to forgive those who had done that to him? You know, the powerful thing about Zamperini is his, his, his once from 1952 forward, he devoted himself to a ministry for at-risk youth. And, and the ministry still continues through his family today. His scars were like Jacob's limp, became the power of Christ to his world. Friends, are you letting your scars be the testimony of Christ to your world. That's why abundant life exists, right? That's why Christ followers exist. To let our imperfections be given to God, our weakness, the things that we wrestle with, the wars that we've, the, the battles we've fought and lost and won both. We lay before God and say, God, use them. Use my life. If you want to know who's walking close to God, look at those who walk with a limp. It's not the ones that think that they can get out of every situation on their own laurels. It's the ones who have become broken in God's presence until God touches them. Willing to be humble in God's presence and understand that I can't rely on myself. I have to rely on God. First Peter 5, 6, Peter writes, he says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now remember last week we talked about this significance of humility and, and the church that Peter is writing to is one that's been scattered and abused and blamed for the fires in Rome that Nero set himself. Their homes have been taken from them. They had, they had been separated from family and their wealth stolen. And what does he tell him? He tells them to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt us, that he may exalt you, not us exalting ourselves. When we become in that place where we understand the trials and circumstances that, that, we, are, that we are with, that, that seem to be in our way from progress, from really just admitting and confessing who we really are, we just the deceivers. When we finally come to that point, that's when God works through us. The account of Jacob wrestling with God is such an interesting passage. He wrestles with God, right? And my first question is, is why Jacob? First of all, I mean, this is supposed to be Esau. Esau was the one in the rightful place for the right inheritance. And, but here's Jacob, the deceiver who cheated his way into this position. Why does he get the blessing? I mean, that's a mystery, right? Now, I, I remember it's sort of like, you know, I'm reminded of uh, my kids, um, you know, when they're testing us as parents. 
God is sort of, he is the parent to us children, right? And if you've ever had kids, you understand you, the will of the child to fight and, and to test the boundaries and, and the wrestle with the parent. And, and a good parent will know and where to stand their ground. And, and over time with correction and instruction and, and all of these things and discipline begins to change the mind of the child and begin to change their, their heart and their motivations and their actions begin to change because we're shaping that. We're through disciplines and correction and instruction. Because even though parenting is hard, we stand our ground, right? I mean, a good parent will stand their ground. They will enforce and wrestle with them because we love them. They might squirm, they might kick, they might scream. They might, when they get to be teenagers, rebel and do all the kinds of things that kids do to act out. But parenting requires us to hold the line. Why? Because we don't like them? No because of love. We choose to wrestle with them in this regard because we're not gonna let them get away with being deceitful, right? Our kids' lives, their values and their character is forever changed by our interaction as parents with them. And there comes a point after the discipline and all the correction and all the instruction, after all the wrestling is over, that we have this moment with our kids where we embrace with them. Some of the most precious times I've had with my kids growing up is after they were disciplined, that they would sit in my arms and I would hold them and, and we would enjoy that closeness. It's so precious. You know, God has that same idea in mind for us as his children. It's like saying, we're good, right? You've heard people say that when, there, when there's been an issue with you or something, you say, we're good, right? I and mean, we got to figure it figured out. I think guys say that maybe more than women. I'm not sure. We're good, right? Yeah, we're good. It's like the parent holding the child. We're good. It's like God saying to us, we're good. So here's Jacob and he's trying to fight and God continues uh, trying to fight to continue living the way that he wanted to live. He's trying to continue down that road. And, and so here is this wrestling and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That blessing was God saying to Jacob, your limp will change your life. You will no longer going to live under the cloud of deception. You're not going to be a pretender in this world. You're not going to be able to live any longer having to go from lie to lie to lie. That's so exhausting. And yet we do this with God all the time. We, we continue to hide under all this stuff. And God is saying, hey, just, just come clean. Just tell me, who you, I already know who you really are. You're no longer going to live under that deception. It, it'll change you. It'll change the way you live. But now, you and I, Jacob, we're good. Now, for some of us, I think that God has moved and changed maybe our family dynamic around. He's, he's moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. And, and we just keep fighting we keep on living in the deceit we have grown accustomed to. We, we, we become comfortable with wrestling with God rather than surrendering to him. Winning with God and having his blessing and provision is opposite, friends, from winning in the world. God has in mind for us so many bigger things than the things that we can imagine. To win this match with God is opposite the thinking of the world. To win with God means to surrender. It's antithetical, it's, it's opposite, it's a kingdom upside down, and it's not in our nature. Wrestling with God requires surrender. Until you, until I, 
and God know that we've worked it out and you hear say, God say, we're good. You know, he does that through the cross. Whenever we come to that place or we have been uh, burying ourselves with all of our deception, we've been living behind the shroud. When we come into his presence and we're right there with him so close, we can't continue to be deceptive. Oh, we can try, but usually that means we're not in his presence. When we choose to be in that wrestling match, we're saying, I'm willing to be in your presence, God. And I want to stay here until you and I, until I hear you say, we're good. Now, Jacob goes to meet Esau, and he's here at the river, Jabbok, and he goes to meet Esau, and he brings tons of gifts, because in his mind, he thinks that the gifts are going to make an amends, right? But if we read thoroughly, we catch that the gifts really wouldn't have made any difference with Esau at all. The two brothers with this huge feud that had been going on in their life, this huge history of an angst uh, that Jacob had toward Esau, and Esau had said that I'm going to kill him, is able, they're able to come together, and it was resolved because one of them that we know for sure had had an encounter with God. There are so many times, friends, that we fight and we want in, and, we, in, and what we want in any situation, we fight for that job, well, we step on others to get there, we manipulate to get the things that we want. And all the while, God is saying, if you surrender, I will fight your battles. What's so amazing about Jacob's story is that he comes from a long history of fighting brothers, but God names him Israel after this wrestling match. And after this, he has 12 sons. Now, from these 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of those sons is Joseph. Now, now Jacob gets, uh, uh, Joseph gets sold into slavery, right? And we, we know this in, in history. He gets sold into slavery to Egypt. He's, he's actually uh, uh, betrayed by his own brothers. He grows up in Egypt. He doesn't grow up like the other 11. The other 11 are raised with the traditions of Israel. The other 11 uh, have a belief in their creator God. But Joseph was not raised in that environment. He goes on as he is a young man. And the rest of his life in this context, he was in an environment where other gods were predominant. His sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were raised in Egypt in this environment. This environment of other gods, other beliefs. Now, when Jacob is on his deathbed, he, he brings in Joseph, and with Joseph, Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh are with them. And Jacob says, I know I have 11 other sons. Remember, he's on his deathbed, and he's telling Joseph this. And Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are right there. And Jacob's laying on his deathbed, and he's about to give his, he's about to, ready to give his inheritance, right? And so as he's laying there, he says, you know, I got, I got 11 other sons. They're supposed to get my inheritance. But because Ephraim and Manasseh grew up in a foreign land and maintained their faith, in spite of being in this place that was very opposite the Creator God, he says to Jacob says, I want to include them in the inheritance. That means that Ephraim and Manasseh, who, who two grandchildren, became equal as sons. You know, the history, Jewish tradition of Ephraim and Manasseh is, is so powerful because they are known, get this, as the two brothers that never fought. 
Boy, that's kind of opposite everything Jacob's ever known. What Jacob realized on his deathbed was that if he would have just rested in God and trusted God the entire time, rather than all the deception, all the hiding and the struggle that God would have just handed it to him. He would have just blessed him. If he would have rested in truth and not been a deceiver, if he would have just said, God, you see me as I truly am. <coughs> There's no deception right now. You see everything that I am, Lord. I am just right here before you. My name is Jacob. And he sees these two brothers who didn't grow up fighting in this foreland, keeping their confidence in God, never fighting for power, never manipulating one another as he was manipulated to get what they thought they deserved. Ephraim and Manasseh received an equal inheritance. God says, you get an equal one. You get what the son gets. You know, this is our inheritance too, that we have the rights, the Bible says, as sons. We can choose whatever we want. We can fight to do it all at the expense of others. We can knock others out of the way. We can push and push to get everything we want. We can lie and deceive and we can, we can become the deceiver. We can, we can just try to hide from one thing to the next without ever really just coming into God's presence and saying, God, you see me just as I am. You see all the fears, the concerns in this world that I have, the coronavirus, my, my job, my employment, everything, God, I recognize right now, all of these things I've been, I've been hiding behind. God says, you know, I know what you need. Just tell me who you are. People are wrestling today and they're wrestling for a couple of things. And the first one I think that we really wrestle with is fulfillment. So we're wrestling to try to find contentment, satisfaction and things, education, money, career, even family. <laughs> the pitter-patter of little feet, the, the white picket fence and 2.5 children. We try to find fulfillment in all these things and, and they're wonderful things. They're not things that are bad. But we can't get from them the only things that God can do. God can is the only one who truly satisfies. He brings fulfillment. We wrestle with the lie that we have to make it all happen to be fulfilled. Trying to improve your life isn't bad, friends. That's not what we're saying, but God blesses all of these other areas in our life when we are content with what he provides. Remember the scripture in Peter, he says, when we humble ourselves, what does he do? He makes our relationships better. If our relationship with God is priority, we say, God, you see who I really am. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to be deceitful. I just want you and God makes everything all the more richer. We're also wrestling with salvation today in this culture, in this world. There are many that are wrestling with God for their very lives. And God continues to call you to step into his love, to, to lay all your burdens and cares down, to surrender the match, to say, God, I, I'm, I'm pinned. I give up. Consider me out. Consider me done. And, and if you're watching and if you're, or you're, you're, you have friends that are watching today, I wanna to encourage you that, or you have friends that you've been witnessing to, this is the poor, this is the point where all mankind is at. 
We come to the point where we say, I, I, I'm wrestling with God. I don't, I don't need that. I, I'm pushing him away. And all the time God is saying, come to me and give me your burdens. Give me your cares. Give me all these things and just surrender. Many have been making excuses to stay away from God, stay away from church because you, you just want to press on on your own. You, you want to keep wrestling. And, and I want you to know, friend, that God understands. He's not offended or surprised by anything you've said or done or acted out because you keep fighting and maintain your distance from his love. He, he understands that. Friends, what you are wrestling with, God, what you're wrestling with him about today, are you tired of making things happen? Have you filled your life with a false identity trying to survive from one thing to the next? We know what to do, right? We just need to say our name. Don't tell God who you've created. Tell him who you are. Confess that it's, hey God, it's just me. And stay in that place until you sense the presence of his Holy Spirit say, we're good. Let's pray today and ask God's blessing on our life. And I want to encourage you, if you've been wrestling with God and putting him aside or pushing things around, don't do it any longer. Just come to him and admit who you are and what you need. He cares for you. God, I pray today <coughs> for everyone that's watching right now, that the presence of your Holy Spirit would be in this very place that as we go through the rest of this week, as we venture forward, that we continually say, God, I surrender. God, I want and desire your blessing in my life. Lord, continue, Lord Jesus, to be ever present with me. Fill me with your love and your power. Today is the day, Lord, that you've made, and I wanna follow you. God, I pray that your blessing would be upon all of the Abundant Life family. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be ever present with each one of them during this time where we're separated, where we're apart, God. We're apart, but we're together unified by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak in every life, in every heart, God. Bring healing, Lord, to every everyone that's in need of healing today, every, every body that's broken, that your touch would be there, every, every spirit that is downcast, that you would encourage them, Lord, every, every emotional drain that, Lord, has been uh, attacked upon people today, I pray, Lord, that you would be the encourager, Lord. You are our counselor. You are our sustainer. We love you, and we pray today that your Holy Spirit would continue to guide us. Help us, Lord, to listen to your voice and to just surrender. Thank you for your blessing today. Bless your church, Lord, as we venture forward. We thank you for all you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.